Today's scripture reading comes from John 1, 6 through 13. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Well, in our um, judicial system and in our criminal system, one of the more important elements is that of a witness, particularly an eyewitness. Eyewitnesses have, have played significant, significant roles, some good and, and, and some not so good, in the history of criminal trials and litigations in our country. Eyewitness testimony has, has often proven to be the difference between guilt and innocence, between prison and freedom, between life and death. And it's particularly true with the rise of, of social media, is it not, and the ubiquitous nature of cameras and cell phones. In this sense, we all instantly become witnesses. Witnesses of all that around us. We all witness the horror of George Floyd's death. No, we don't have to be put under oath and we don't have to be subpoenaed to testify. We saw it. We heard it. We witnessed it. It's tragic end. And yet, beloved, witnesses can come in, in all forms, many forms. Witnesses are not only used in criminal disputes, but you understand that witnesses are also used in wedding ceremonies. Witnesses are also used in the signing of wills and last testaments. You know, at a wedding ceremony that those who are present there are asked to be witnesses of those vows and those oaths that are shared that day between that couple who is being wed. A witness is, is somebody who is expected to truthfully testify to the truth. Truthfully testify to the truth. And as Christians... This is particularly important because we are all called to testify to the truth claims of Jesus Christ. This was the mission of the early disciples. They understood this. They understood themselves to be witnesses. They understood that their calling was to testify truthfully to the truth claims of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is who he said he is. That Jesus Christ did what he said he would do. They understood themselves to be witnesses. And Peter in Acts chapter 2 and verse 32 on the day of Pentecost, he said, God has raised Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. The call is to testify truthfully to the truth. 
And Peter said, we saw it. John also, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, where he writes, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is in the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We testify, we proclaim what we have seen. We proclaim what we have heard. In fact, the Gospel of Luke is based upon the eyewitness testimony of those who were with Jesus, right? This is what Luke says in Luke chapter 1 and verse 2. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. In other words, Luke said, I personally wasn't there, but there are those who were eyewitnesses who gave truthful testimony, and they have delivered this to us, and I have taken on account to write it down. This is, this is the commission of Paul. This is what Paul was commissioned to do. In Acts 22, verse 15, you will be his witness, speaking of Paul, you will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And it's not just the apostles, beloved. It's not just the disciples who was with Jesus. I mean, this is the calling of all the early disciples. This is your calling and my calling as well. All who have witnessed to the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ in your life, you and I are called to witness this. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, verse 15, but in your hearts reveal Christ as Lord always, Always prepare to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. To witness, to testify to the truth upon which your hope in this life is based. To witness in life and in words to Jesus Christ. This is why, from time to time, a preacher will ask the question, can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? Because we are all called to give witness to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. We are all called to give witness to the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are all called to give witness to the Word. The Word. And this is what our text is about this morning. It's about the Apostle John giving witness to the Word. As we saw last week, John reminded us that the word here is logos, and it is John's way of exalting Jesus, right, to his rightful place as creator and sustainer of the world. John reminded us that Jesus is God, that Jesus is life, and that Jesus is light. And in our text this morning, he continues this revelation by illustrating this exalted place, by illustrating the deity of Christ. And so John, what John does is he bears witness. 
He bears witness to the deity of Christ. He bears witness to the glory of Christ. He bears witness to the majesty of Christ. And he does this by identifying who the word is, by showing that that word is illuminating the world, and by showing that our salvation is based through it, based through the word. So that this gives us reason to witness for the word. And he does so by the identification of the word, the illumination of the word, and the reality that our salvation is through the word. And that word is rightly identified. When we realize that that is the word that brings us light. When we realize that our salvation comes through and only through that word then we are prepared to be faithful witnesses for that word. Notice the identification of the word. Beginning in verse 6, verse 8. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a what? A witness. To do what? Bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to do what? Bear witness about the light. One of the responsibilities of a faithful witness is to clarify the identity of the person of interest. And the apostle John here The gospel writer here wanted to be clear that John the Baptist was not the person of interest. In other words, let's be clear before we go any further. John was not Jesus. Now you say, why is that important? That is important because John was important. John the Baptist was important. We tend to underestimate, we woefully underestimate the statue, uh, the stature of John the Baptist, which is probably just as John the Baptist would have wanted it. But the fact of the matter is, John the Baptist was a very important person. He was a very well-known and respected figure at the time that Jesus began his public ministry. I mean, you might even say that John the Baptist was even more popular than Jesus. Notice how the writer John says he was a man sent from God. Why? Because it was universally accepted that John the Baptist was a prophet from God. Everyone accepted that. And because of that, beloved, John was a star. I mean, he was a star. John the Baptist is mentioned by every gospel writer. Not only is he mentioned by every gospel writer, but John the Baptist is the only John mentioned in John. And not only does John make sure that he makes mentions of him, Peter makes mention of him in Acts chapter 1 and verse 22. Paul makes mention of him in Acts 13 and verse 30 and verse 24. And Jesus himself spoke most highly of John the Baptist 
In Matthew 11, in verse 11, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. In other words, beloved, John was a celebrity prophet. He was a celebrity prophet. He was drawing huge crowds. Mark chapter 1 and, and verse 5 says, All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. Everybody. Everybody. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. John the Baptist was big time. Today he would have been a top-selling televangelist. His website, johnthebaptist.com, and his podcast, Repent and Be Baptized, would be both number one on Apple and Spotify. And, and, and before, before there was social media, before there was television, before there was cable, John the Baptist was packing them in. He was Billy Graham and Kanye West and Rick Warren all rolled up in the one. He was huge. He was the prophet of prophets. John was a shining light. John was bright. And it would have been easy for people to confuse John the Baptist with Jesus. In fact, some were even doing so, confusing John the Baptist with the Messiah. And yet John, the gospel writer, begins his gospel by saying, let's not get it twisted. John was bright, but he was not the light. This is, this, this is huge, beloved. That as bright as John the Baptist shone, the Bible says twice in verses 7 and 8 that the ministry and calling of John was to bear witness to the light. John the Baptist was a reflector. He was a reflector. Whatever glory came his way, his was to reflect it back to Jesus. And the gospel writers make this point clear. There have been some great lights in the history of redemption. Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, Elijah, and none greater than John the Baptist. But the gospel writer John is here to tell you this morning that there is one greater than Noah that has come. There is one greater than Abraham and, and Moses. There is one greater than David and Elijah. Believe it or not, there is one greater than John the Baptist. The gospel writer here is reminding us and saying, John the Baptist, as popular as he was, was not the person of interest. He only came to testify to that person. Jesus 
is the one you want. Jesus is the one you need. John the Baptist was not the light. He was a light. But Jesus is the true light. The true light. Isn't that what John says? Jesus is the true light. You see the illumination of the word, don't you? In verses 9 and 10. So he says the true light. John the Baptist was a light, but the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. If you were here last week or you were with us last week, then you, you remember that we saw that Jesus is the light. Jesus is the light of the world. Now the gospel writer goes even further and explains he's not just the light. Jesus is the true light. The true light. Now, now true can obviously be uh, in opposition to what is false. Right? And so you can think that when he says Jesus is true light, he means in opposition to the false light. And, and this has some merit to it. There are false lights out there in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14. The Bible tells us that Satan masquerades as an angel of light and therefore pawning himself off as light but is a false light. But yet in the gospel of John, and this is so important to understand, in the gospel of John, true is not in regards or in contradiction to what is false, but true means being complete, the perfect, the full. Jesus is perfected light. Jesus is the fullness of light. This is what true means in the Gospel of John. You'll see it again and again in, in John chapter 15 and verse 1. Jesus refers to himself as the true vine. Not that there were no other vines. Israel was called a vine in the Old Testament. Israel was called God's vine in the Old Testament. But Jesus comes and says, I am the finished vine. I am the fullness of the vine. I am the perfected vine. In John chapter 6 and verse 32, we'll see that Jesus refers to himself as the true bread. Not that there were, was no other bread. Remember that God gave Israel bread in the wilderness. But Jesus comes and says, but I am the finished bread. I am the perfected bread. I am the fullness of the bread of heaven. And then in, in John chapter 4, we'll see in verse 23 that Jesus refers to us as the true worshipers. As the true worshipers, not that there were no other worshipers. God's people have always worshipped him, and they worshipped him in the Old Testament. But in Jesus, what we find is perfected praise. What we find is the fulfillment of all worship. Jesus is true. There have been other lights, but they were just shadows. They were just reflections. They were like the moon. At night you go outside and you look up and what do you see? You see moonlight. But beloved, the moon has no light. 
The moon has no light of its own. And if you see moonlight, all you are seeing is the reflection of the sun upon the moon. So it was with David. So it was with Joseph. So it was even with John the Baptist. So it is with you and with me. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Beloved, we sing, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. But really, it's not mine. Really, it's Jesus. I am called, like John, to reflect the glory of God that is found in Jesus Christ. Anything that shines off me is but a reflection of his grace, a reflection of his mercy and goodness to me. John says, this light, this light has come into the world and is available to all. This is God's gift to a dark and desolate world. Beloved, the Lord could have left the world in darkness in sin and in shame. But no, God so loved the world that he gave this world true light. He sent into this world the true light. And every, every year around this time, every year around this time, there's evidence all around. My wife spent this past weekend decorating our house for Christmas, putting up Christmas lights, and reminding us of the light that has come into the world. And every year at this time, we are reminded of God's love. We are reminded of his mercy in sending Jesus Christ as the saving light of all humanity. And the tragedy of tragedies, beloved, is that rather than receiving the true light, every year the world looks to Santa Claus. The world looks to elves. The world looks to snowmen and reindeer. Rather than receiving the light. This is not new. It says in verse 10. The light was in the world, and the world refused to recognize him. The world refused to know him. The world prefers Christmas lights to the light of the world. The, the world prefers Christmas trees to the tree of life. The world prefers exchanging gifts to receiving the gift of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. And as they did then, so we do now. They rejected him. His own people. His own people rejected him. In verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Beloved, Jesus was born, the son of David, 
and the sons and daughters of David rejected him. Jesus was born the seed of Abraham, and the seeds of Abraham rejected him. Jesus was born of the tribes of Jacob, and the tribes of Jacob rejected him. Thankfully, 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 their rejection has become our election. This is what John is making clear. You remember when Jesus was born and the Bible says there was no room in the inn? Well, thankfully, beloved, there was room for him in the barn. There was no room in the inn for the light, but there were those who made room for the light in the barn. And those in the barn got to see the salvation of the Lord. Because they made room for the light. And this is how our salvation comes. This is how our salvation has come. It is through this word. Verse 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, all of those in the barn, All those in the barn, to those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Now, beloved, because the narrative of the life of Jesus is rejection, here we go. People rejected him. All the way to the cross. People rejected him. And because the narrative of Jesus' life is rejection, and because Isaiah 53 and verse 3 says that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces, faces he was despised, and, he, and we esteemed him not. Because... The narrative of the life of Jesus was one of rejection. You might get the impression that no one responded to the word or the light of God. But that is not true. Most did reject him, but thankfully, not all. Some did receive Christ. Some did welcome the light. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2 says, The people who walked in Darkness have done what? Seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. Because of Israel's rejection of this great light, now that light has shined on us, on us all, especially those who have placed their trust, believed, and received Jesus Christ. Those who receive him, those who receive him, those who prepare a place, or as the song Joy to the World says, those who in every heart prepares him room. Those who prepare him room. God gave the right. God gave the authority. God gave the ability to become 
children of God. This is absolutely amazing. The Lord gave. The Lord gave. This is the true nature of salvation, isn't it? It's the gift of God. It's the gift of God. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Salvation is what God gives it is the grace of God. Yes, yes, we have to have faith. Yes, we have to believe. But it was God who first gave us Christ. It was God who first gave us his spirit. It is God who continually gives and gives and gives. He gave. You and I didn't earn the right. He gave it to us. And what did he give? The right. The right. He gave the right. The authority. The power. He gave the right, meaning that those who were outside the camp can now come into the camp. Those outside the house can now move into the house. Not as thieves. Not as squatters. But because now you have the right. It's rightfully yours to become. The right to become is a change in status. You are no longer what you were, but now you have become something different. He gave you the right to become. First Peter chapter 2 and verse, and verse 10 says, once you were not a people, now you have become a people. He has given you the right to become his people. Once you had not received mercy, but now have received mercy. The right to become. You know, some of the Jews in that day believed that mercy was their privilege. That grace was their right. No, beloved. Grace is a gift. As Romans chapter 9 and verse 15 reminds us, God says, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. His mercy is toward those he has made his children. He gave the right to become children of God, children of God. The greatest blessing and privilege of our salvation is that now we are received in the household of God as his children, children of God. Now, in one sense, every human being is the offspring of God. But beloved, not all human beings are called sons and daughters of God. And Romans chapter 8 makes this very clear in verse 14 through 16. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are 
God's children. God's children are not born of this world. They are born of God. Born of God. And unlike Israel in the Old Testament, beloved, we are not born Christians. We are born again Christians. God makes Christians by grace through faith in Christ alone. And this is what John wants to remind us. If you are to be a faithful witness of the word, if you are to be a faithful witness of the light, then you must understand that you have become a child of God, not by blood, not by flesh, not by your own will, but by the will of God. Not by blood, not by blood, not by some natural descent. And it's flies, it's just flies in the face of what many thought in that day, of what too many believe in our day. You are not saved because your grandmother was saved. You are not saved because your mother was saved. Salvation is not your natural birthright. God doesn't have grandchildren. He has children. And these children are born not of the flesh. You're not saved, in other words, because your parents had successful family planning. You are not saved through some natural means of procreation. Natural birth won't get anybody into the kingdom of God. You're not saved not by blood. You're not saved by the flesh. You are not saved by your own human will. Salvation is not because you sought it. Because of the fact of the matter is, beloved, you didn't. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 11, the Bible is clear. There is none who are righteous. No one seeks for God. You are not saved because you sought it. You are not saved because you willed it. Why? Because you didn't. It wasn't because you so desired it. It wasn't because you worked so hard for it. Romans 9 and verse 16 reminds us clearly that it did not depend on your human will or your human exertion. Beloved, you are not saved because you tried. You are saved because Christ died. It was the will of God that Christ should come into the world. It was the will of God that Christ should die for our sins. It is the will of God that Christ would be raised from the grave. And it is the will of God that you and I would be saved. If you are saved this morning, it is because of the sovereign will of God. God willed it. God decreed it. God ordained it. And that's the way it had to be. Because if it was totally up to me, I wouldn't be saved. And if it was totally up to you, you would not be saved. Don't fool yourself, beloved. If you are saved this morning, it is because God 
determined to have mercy because God determined to be gracious because God willed. Because God broke your heart. A stony heart. And he replaced it with a heart of flesh. He replaced it with a heart after his own. I don't know about you. I don't know about you. But I was sinking deep in sin. Far, far from the peaceful shore. Very deeply in stain within. And I was seeking to rise no more. But then, but then the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. And from the waters he lifted me. Now safe am I. Why? Because Christ lifted me. Christ lifted me. When nothing else could help, when I couldn't help myself, Christ lifted me. And I reminded that it was not of the will of the flesh, nor of blood, nor my own human exertion, but it was the will of God. He sent Christ to lift me. What am I now to do? I am to bear witness. Now, though I once was blind, now I see. I am to bear witness that though I at one time was dead, now I am alive. I am to truthfully testify to the truth that the light of God has come into this world and he has shined that light into my life so that now I have eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I have ears to hear the blessed word of God that transformed my mind. I have a heart that now receives the mercy and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. God did that. God did all that. And I am here to bear witness to that truth. Are you a witness? Or better yet, can I get a witness? Amen. Can I get a witness? Amen. amen and amen.